Greetings from Longtime No See, the podcast. Every week, we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my God, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. (laughs) Consequence Podcast Network. Hey, welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with... It's the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org. Consequence and the Consequence Podcast Network. Thanks as always for making your way here, checking out the series. I do hope you hit the subscribe button. I put out three new interviews every single week. That's a new one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones as well. And you can do so at all the usual spots including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, NPR, YouTube for the video versions, or anywhere you get your podcasts from. Subscribe to Kyle Meredith with, and that's me, Kyle Meredith, today, once again, catching up with Phoebe Bridgers. We're going to be getting an update on all of her recent happenings, actually, uh, discussing her single sidelines and its involvement with conversations with friends, uh, making definitive statements in songs, and having to stand behind them uh, to some degree, like, you know, forever, and what she's up to with her uh, record label, Satisfactory. Uh, we're also going to talk about teaming with Jack Antonoff to uh, cover the Carpenters for the Minions soundtrack and her upcoming opening slot for the Rolling Stones. So let's get into it, shall we? It's Kyle Meredith with Phoebe Bridgers. Hello. Nice to hear from you again. I know you were just in the Louisville. Hopefully that was, a, that was a decent time for you. It was great seeing you in the Forecastle Festival. Yeah, thanks. Your new single? We absolutely love with sidelines again. I know this is part of conversations with friends. Uh, maybe we start there. Uh, how did you get involved with this? Uh, they just reached out and it's been one of my favorite books since I read it. So, um, so yeah, it was like an obvious yes from me. Yeah, is it, is it writing as an assignment uh, in a situation like this? I mean, did was it one of those moments where were you were able to repurpose a song for the project or did you write specifically for that? And if so, does that change how you approach a song? Uh, no, I'm horrible with assignments, so would never. Uh, I, I happened to be around my drummer, Marshall, when I got the ask and, and like was like, damn, I'm horrible at assignments. Guess I can't do it. And, uh, and he was like, what about sidelines? Which, which was kind of like a idea that he'd sent me at the very beginning of COVID um that was never put out and and so we finished it with this kind of in mind but barely uh and it fit kind of perfectly uh which which rocks it's such an interesting take too um i mean you start with that you know i'm not afraid of anything at all hell of a statement uh to to get us going and 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 dropping those instances with fire and earthquake and plane crash but then came someone something someone um I guess the question is, like, when you're writing that, what was what was your idea? What was the approach to it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's about whether it, whichever comes first, it's either like a person kind of like allows you to take more stock in your own life or you start taking more stock in your own life. Therefore, you open yourself up to meeting better people. Um, it's just kind of about like maybe like the the lens in the beginning is like nihilist and taking like a passive interest in everything and not really caring. And then, uh, and then like verse two is more about taking a real interest, but also kind of not caring what the outcome is like realizing that you can, you can just like live like, like nothing matters in a good way. You know, would you have a song that's sort of, I don't know what do I call it a definitive statement. Like you're making it a definitive statement. Looking back at your your catalog, your, your past songs, I would I would guess like because we change, we change as people, and we grow. And when you look back at those where you were like, I feel exactly this way, and I am exactly this way, does it change the way you view the songs and how you sing it over time? Not really. I think I think even 
like I have a song called Funeral about always being sad. And I think there's even that com there's even that commentary going on at the time about how like when you're depressed you feel like you've never felt or will never feel a different way. Uh so so hopefully people find kind of the humor in it of like definitive statements about your feelings are always ridiculous. Well I was I was sort of looking at like the parallel of of like your stage wear too, or, or in the artwork, because you know, on that first album, there's the ghost, and and and, and then we see you on stage as the skeleton, and I, and I had that thought of like, is this the journey to becoming, uh, you know, a real fully fleshed out person? Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I've honestly never thought of it that way, but, but yeah, uh, I get maybe my character for the next record will be a person. Who knows? Or just with muscle, you could be the walking, you know, like Mr. Goodbody exactly. back in like the old days. Blood, <laughs> blood and guts. Yeah, uh, that'd be a great stage makeup, actually. I would. Uh, I think so too. Yeah. So, so, so that's what's going on with sidelines, and then the other side of your career, I've just been completely fascinated by because uh, you know the stuff I've heard so far with your label, Satisfactory, uh, Muna. Uh, I think Charlie Hickey is that your newest? Is that one of your newest one? Is that yours? Uh, yeah, it's hard to keep track of like who's newest because we've been working on it for so long. So, um, so yeah, but he, but he, uh, has new music out now. That's awesome. So what's, what's your day-to-day involvement uh, with, with the bands on the lineup? I mean, because I would imagine like running, uh, an imprint, a label or anything. I mean, that's gotta take a lot of time. For sure. I think, I mean, once the music is done and out, it's less that like I like other people's jobs kind of kick into gear like radio people or promotion people and you know people who work directly with streaming companies and making records and um I feel like I'm I'm a little bit more involved in like the actual making of the thing or you know mix notes and stuff uh so it's fun to just kind of like watch the label do its thing what do you look for uh I mean is it certain something certain that you're you're seeking targeting when, when you're finding these artists i mean i just have to like it that's pretty much it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's easy well what's it like seeing muna i mean this is kind of a second act success for them at this point i mean that's you know what, what's that journey been like for you and and what was it about muna that spoke to you i mean i've been a muna fan forever uh saves the world is one of my favorite albums so the opportunity to sign them was just like a no-brainer it's been so good for us. I, I probably could speak for most of the format too with uh, with with AAA, but uh, God, the songs, and I think we're three singles out at this point and every single one of them. Yeah, I, I guess I'm only throwing a compliment to you right then with just like having the great ear and finding out, you know, <laughs> with what they got going on because I've loved every song that we've heard so far on this album. Thanks. Yeah, no, it's, it's going to be insane. The album is incredible. So then, so further on, I, I feel like I'm just hitting the checklist here. Uh, you've got that side. You've you've got some songs. You've got a songs on the uh, Minion soundtrack, which uh, <laughs> yeah, covering is it the Carpenters? Is that right? Yep, yep. <laughs> was that your pick, or or is that something that Jack sent to you? Jack sent it to me, and I feel like he knows me well. It's a great and very depressing song. So, <laughs> you are will you start including that in the set list? Is that when you'll start playing live too? You know, I played absolutely zero of that song. Like he he recorded it. And then it was the wrong key for me to sing. So he had to like pitch down the entire track. So I doubt it's even possible to play, but, but I hope people like it. Something that just lives on the, uh, the album. Yep. That's not bad. What, so that's a couple soundtracks. I mean, do you ever think about getting into the other side of that? I mean, is it, do you have an interest in acting? Ha. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I've like tried definitely a couple times or I think maybe a lot of musicians feel that way where like people try to like kind of cast you in some sort of cameo in a movie and I, I can't even play myself. So uh, yeah, I, I'll stick to, I'll stick to what I'm like actually good at. Well, it's good on the soundtracks at least. Uh, I'm exactly. I'm always, I, I'm such a fan of B-sides and I can't even tell you why. Like, I don't know the big difference anymore. I grew up in when B-sides were so important. So when you get these little moments right here, like as a fan, like these are the best things you know uh, something like sidelines something like goodbye to love i mean i think you know there's not so much as much emphasis on on cds and collecting the singles in the same way as i think it used to be but uh but i don't know i really love this part of it um agreed 
yeah, yeah. I love that stuff. So it, do, do you have more plans for new music uh, th- this year? Is uh, you know, I, I don't know how much you're able to say or anything, but uh, is it sort of kind of be this type of a thing for the rest of the year? Yeah, I don't know. Honestly, uh, it just depends, depends on what I can get together or what I feel interested to put out, but, but we'll see. Have you given any thought on how to manage the uh, expectations of, uh, of following up the last record? Because that's still, I mean, the way people are talking about that, you would think it's a brand new album. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad for that. And, and I want to give it all the life that it deserves, but, but I just want to take my time and, and put the next thing I put out, I want to like really, really love as much or more. That's a steep mountain to climb. I mean, I've got faith in you, but uh, I understand. that's. A... <laughs> and then let's see, you go out on tour with the Rolling Stones this summer. That's uh, how are you preparing for that? Well, it's really just one show. So oh, that's okay. so, so not preparing at all and just being on our own tour. And, you know, I think we could play the show in our sleep now, which is, which is a great feeling. And um, it's going to be really fun. Yeah. So, so you don't have to like uh, to cater to to a different audience or, or or anybody else when you're playing a show like that. Even if we do, we won't. Uh, even if we do have to and people would like it more if we did, we're just going to play the set. <laughs> so I hope people like it. Now, they have a long history of bringing up their openers to do a song with them. Or is is like do you see yourself doing it? Is there a Stone song that you would want to do? I mean, I'll show up for whatever. Um I don't know how like rocking my voice is, but but yeah, that would be super fun. It just seems like it fits in too. I mean, uh, you know, in the past couple of years, what you've you've collaborated with McCartney, and uh, yeah. beyond that, I mean, you've had so many. I, it seems like iconic collaborations at this point. You know, Taylor's in there, uh, Cootie's in there. I don't know if you can talk, speak to this, but like, what's the key to to being a good collaborator uh, and and working with other strong creative people? I I think it's it's just easy when you're a music fan and you like what you're working on. Um, you know, it'd be exhausting to collaborate with people uh, who I don't, who I'm not actually fans of, but, but I haven't had that problem yet. I mean, there are a lot of people that spend their entire career doing that. So, so totally good on you right there. Totally. Uh, I got nothing but compliments for you. Seriously. Uh, <laughs> Sidelines is, is such, you know, it's just another great song in, in the catalog of how much we love what you do. So you know, thanks for doing what you do. And again, it was so great seeing you in town in Louisville. I don't know if you got any time to spend any, you know, space here uh, roaming around or if it was just a, a one in one out, but we always love seeing you here. So, um, so yeah, thanks so much. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Shout out to uh, Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Uh, I, I live in Kentucky in the Midwest and allergies yeah, I suffer. When I say I suffer from allergies, I suffer from allergies. And around here, everyone I know deals with allergies to some degree. And for a long time, I thought it was just something that I would have to live with, which is a real problem um, for anything, but especially when you're a radio host. It affects my voice. It affects my mood. It affects everything. And I feel like I've tried every, I've tried all the medicines. Some of them work better than others, but there's, there's never a perfect one out there, especially because some of them take forever to actually work and some of them don't work at all. And then there's Astapro, the fastest solution to nasal allergy symptoms. It's what I use now, and it's definitely changed my life. Astapro is the first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Uh, Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. With all the pollen in the air, with all the dust around the the corners of the house, uh, even with uh, the allergies I have from my dog, Astapro has been the nasal spray that has helped me with all of my allergies. And it can help you too. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. That's A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. 
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. So while we're here, how about I share some of the uh, other interviews that Phoebe and I have done? Uh, In fact, uh, the last time was 2020. She had uh, just released uh, Punisher, her sophomore album, uh, that found her taking on a bigger production with a balance of of themes and and disconnection, which would become... uh, you know, sort of uh, the right theme for the era, I guess you would say. We got to talk about her being what she called coffee shop famous and lots more. So uh, here's part two, Kyle Meredith with Phoebe Bridges. Hey, how's it going? Let me tell you, uh, Punisher, I-, I know you're getting tons of compliments and just add me to the pile on this one because uh, what a- an amazing record that you've done once again. Thank you. I- I'm sure that's nice for any time anybody ever releases a record, but it's got to be somewhat of a relief, this being, you know, the official second solo record. I mean, that's... It's always, it's probably more pressure from the industry than maybe yourself, but, but does it feel like this is, it's nice to finally have that out there different than the other releases? Totally. I mean, it's more personal because like I, there was just no pressure with my first record because I didn't have any fans um, before I released it. So I guess there was pressure with this one. I didn't really feel it. And now uh, in retrospect, I'm scared for myself. I'm like, man, if people didn't like this record, it would have sucked. But I don't think I realized that before <laughs> putting it out, which maybe is nice. I'm worried for the next one. You know, as we're, as we're talking about it being the second record, and, and many artists have been faced with this too, especially, you know, the popularity of that first one. A lot of times the second one can be about, you know, if it's not the road record, it's about writing about fame. And, and you didn't seem to shy away from that. It seems like you leaned into that a little bit. Was there ever any resistance to kind of going that route? Um, I mean, still, I'm like, you know, I'm indie rock famous. I joke that I'm, uh, I'm like coffee shop famous. <laughs> like, I'm like, I can pretty much guarantee that someone at a coffee shop is going to recognize me, but the rest of the world I <laughs> move move through with like pretty much anonymity. So, um, so there's definitely a lot about tour, just the experience, the way that it affects me personally. Like, I don't think, I, th- I think it's all just kind of my inner world. And, and I trick myself into believing that I'm not going to show anybody my songs before I finish them. And, you know, I'm like, Oh, this will never have to come out if I don't like it. And, and that, helps me write better, I think, because then, I, of course, I do put it out. I, I want to hit on the uh, the instrumentation for the record, because uh, it was the first thing I noticed. One, because your first thing is an instrumental on there with this beautifully set DVD menu song. But it seems like that was kind of one of the biggest differences, obviously. And I don't know if that was, was that something you thought about going into it? Was that it was going to be such a different spot instrumentally for, for an album? You know, I think so. I think we just knew that we I'd gotten ex- more experimental in my you know in my other bands and I think I knew that I was going to take that into this but um I felt very reserved on the first record like I had to stop Tony and Ethan the other two producers from making it sound super big all the time uh I think that we all have a tendency to kind of like overproduce and I was the one voice trying to get it to be like a folk record and then this time I just didn't fight it and <laughs> I think we uh yeah, it was, I think it's a better record for it. You know, I mean, I think sometimes, sometimes we would overproduce something and then have to completely start from the beginning, but my favorite thing to do is delete, so. Well, especially again, starting it with, uh, you know, a song called DVD Menu, which, I mean, sounds like a joke right from the beginning, but it, this honestly could be the menu music that, that you could hear. I, you know, I'll, I'll play this on the sillier side of the questions, but, you know, if this were a movie, I mean, what are we looking at here? Gothic horror, thriller, divorce drama? Mm-hmm. Do you have something in mind? You know, I think the movie I wish it was, it probably isn't. I think it's a little too, um, like, I, it would be a pretty bad movie score because it's so wordy. But if if the thing itself were a movie, maybe it is a divorce drama. I don't know. I'm 25 years old and never been married. But <laughs> I think maybe. 
yeah, maybe a combination of that and like a, you know, maybe a um, midsummer divorce drama. <laughs> wow, that's that's <laughs> in a dark direction right there. I could appreciate. Yeah. It. Uh, and of course, that, it, you know, the, the book into the record is I Know the End. And, and I think this is a song that a lot of people have been gravitating towards. And, and for good reasons. It's an amazing song. It's, it's, you know, I don't know if this is the most epic thing you've ever done, but it certainly feels like it to me uh, as a listener. What, like, what went into writing this? Because it does seem like a different level, the way it builds. Was this harder than most songs? It actually kind of... It felt kind of low stakes, actually. Like, the front half of it was really hard. It was one of the first songs that I started. I started with my drummer. And it just wasn't really fitting anywhere. It was just kind of this, like, mellow, sad song. It wasn't... It didn't have, like, a clear through line. And it, the lyrics changed, like, a hundred times. And in the outro, I just kind of started writing and said, oh, like, I could tack this onto the end of that song that I've been struggling with. It went through lots of different forms, but I think... It wasn't hard to write necessarily, but I wrote it a lot. And then, and then recording is just fun, like not hard at all. Just letting people do whatever they want. I think the hardest thing to do in recording is, is stopping people from <laughs> recording <laughs> and putting too much stuff on something. And we didn't have that problem with this because we wanted it to be huge. Oh, it's it's definitely a powerful way to end the record. And and by the way, I, I'm my wife is a murderino, as she would say. <laughs> talk about that, especially through a song like this. As soon as I read about you know, one of the other, it might have been Pitchfork or something, how you're into my favorite murder, I immediately had to tell her that and then play her this song. And she goes, "Oh, I hear every bit of that." Yeah, totally. I mean, I think you can even hear it on the first record, um, even though my favorite murder didn't exist to me yet. But yeah, I've always been really, really the true crime i love the way that it's shifting kind of to to um include like marginalized less viral stories that are on the news every day i don't know i think it started as kind of a like dime store novel obsession and then it turned into like a like a righteous fury at uh like police <laughs> so i don't know i think i think people are using their voice for good uh in that genre which is great but yeah it definitely affects all my music I asked my wife at one point, uh, you know, when you look at the statistics, I said, why is it that women are drawn to true crime way more than, than men seem to be? And of course, you know, her answer was very blunt and, and honest. And she goes, because it's something we're dealt with every day, whether we're physically trying to be killed or not. Uh, and it was sort of an eye opener in, in that sense. And, and I don't know if I'm getting too heady here, but it sort of made me hear a lot of these songs in a different way. Yeah, yeah I think I was, I was definitely binging the podcasts while on tour and uh it lines up perfectly to like writing all these songs so i think it you know definitely like seeped in not that it's not in my brain all the time but i used to think there was something wrong with me and i think now i realize that like i really did think there was something wrong with me in high school i thought i was like am i a serial killer and there's some songs like that on the first record and then i think just realizing that yeah women have like a dark fascination with it because it's so real because a couple of the songs, uh, they, especially the first official radio single with Kyoto, and I'll bring up ICU, as they are, I guess, for better phrasing, the, the faster paced songs on the record, does writing at a tempo like that require a different songwriting muscle than, than the slower songs? <laughs> uh, no, because I just write slow songs and then make them fast. I have to trick myself. Same with uh, chords. Like, I never write cool chords, but I think that there are a lot of cool chords on the record. Um, and that's because I think about it later. Like I think about it as a different step. As long as I can trick myself into writing lyrics, then it can kind of be whatever I want later. Always back to tricking yourself. That's the... Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'll ask about a little bit outside the record too, because you're into the producing game, it looks like too, with Christian Lee Hudson. What's that experience been like? Um, it's been awesome. I hope to do it. I hope he lets me produce his next record because I think he did a really good job. I loved making it. It was so fun. It was like, I, the one thing that's hard, um, it, which is why I don't produce a lot, is because I have to feel like as passionate about someone's music as I do about my own music, um, which is hard. Like if, if someone has five good songs and five kind of boring songs or songs I don't really connect with, then I won't be as excited to record those songs. And Christian, I just was like, you know, he sent me like 20 songs and I was obsessed with them. It's hard to whittle them down. So yeah, like I don't, <laughs> I, I a thousand percent have ADHD and in, in ADHD uh, there's something called um, unpreferred tasks which is like when you <laughs> buy furniture from Ikea and you 
start it and then it's kind of hard and it's boring and you're like and you abandon it but then with things that you're really into you just focus on and you don't really have to think about it and it doesn't feel like time is passing and that's the way that for you know producing my own stuff and christian's music is like it, it, it do you have to approach the risk taking in a different way i mean again as you've continuously talked about tricking yourself does, does that style uh, are you able to kind of go away from that when it's somebody else's music well it's kind of less pressure you know like i I believe in people more than I believe in myself, like other people. I think I need people around me to tell me my ideas are good um, and like affirm me, but it's very intoxicating to be that for somebody else. Um, you know, when someone thinks their voice sounds bad and it doesn't, it makes me wonder like how many times has that been me? Like, oh, same right now, it's bad, or this song is bad. Um, <laughs> it's been helpful to have people tell me I'm wrong and, and I like being that person. Well, it's cool to watch what you're doing. Uh, and, and again, this record with Punisher, I mean, just just what a great record that you've done again and again. And of course, we love what you do with Boy Genius and, and we love what you do with Connor and the BOCC. So so thank you so much for continually doing what you're doing and uh, congratulations on Punisher again. Yeah, thanks so much, man. It was great talking to you. Thank you so much, Phoebe. Yeah, you too. Later. Now we'll hop back to 2019. Uh, Phoebe joined by Connor Oberst in this interview here uh, because together they are Better Oblivion Community Center. So we got to talk all about the, the release that they had done uh, as uh, as Better Oblivion uh, and uh, covering Shallow from A Star Is Born. Part three of Kyle Meredith with Phoebe Bridges. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. It's good to talk to you both again. I want to say congratulations on the uh, Better Oblivion Community Center record. This has been so much fun to listen to. Uh, fun being the operative word, considering the lyrics, but it's a fun record still. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know. Let me start out with the uh, with you know what you all bring to each other's talents at this point, because I would think, regardless of how a collaboration starts, there is at least some hope in in gleaming something from the other artist. H- have you noticed that at any point that you've been taking stuff from the other? person yeah totally i think uh connor's a very compelling live performer and i feel like if i like a recent this is a recent realization that if i like even move a little bit on stage i'll like mess up a chord or something so i hope to i hope to take that with me into my future project we'll teach how to stage dive yet have yeah. you stage test on this tour no like in general Oh, yeah. How? But that's so terrifying. Why would you ever do that? No, that's, awesome. that's a good question, too. But, but you don't care about getting, like, groped? Yeah, I feel I like mean, that's my fear. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> fear moves you, jump, you know? Take yeah. that leap. Um, no, I've learned a lot from, like, Phoebe, just, like, writing the record with her. I feel like she has a, she's, like, maybe a little bit more of, like, a perfectionist than I am, and she, she kind of, like a lot of times I'll, I'll write something like fast and kind of like walk away. And she was really good about like encouraging us to keep revising stuff and like making it better. And, you know, obviously she's like an incredibly gifted singer. So like all like the harmony stuff on the record, like she would write the harmonies and then like teach them to me. And so I feel like that made me, made me a better singer, just having to like learn that and having to like keep up with her like vocally every night has like, yeah, like made me like try harder to be a better singer, which is, which is good. Does this, does the partnership go back to uh, Would You Rather on, on Stranger in the Alps? Is that the first time you all collaborated? Yeah. Yeah, although hilariously enough, we had met once and Connor recorded his part of that song remotely. So <laughs> we would end up becoming friends after and that was like basically like we had barely hung out at all um when making that song so it's cool in retrospect there's like a you know a, a permanent like record of our friendship like <laughs> along the way I, I don't know aside from there being truth in any lyric then when you're writing this record together how much of the album tells your own stories and, and if it is you know directly personal in any way you know is it a, any kind of challenge to to weave your own stories together like that I think for me, it was an experiment a little, it was like a little bit more, it was a lot more removed from my own personal experience than anything I'd written before. I feel like that's my, a combo, like a strength and weakness of mine is that I feel like I, I, I have the tendency to just like rip stuff exactly as it happens in real life. And then I feel like these themes I, I kind of discovered later, but I think Connor's lyrics are really personal too. So it wasn't, wasn't that much of a challenge to like go there when we did go there. Like it was, I don't, I think we, we thought about all these like grander ideas or like concepts after making the record. And it's cool to like figure that stuff out. And it was pretty easy to, to 
slick blender two styles. Yeah, it is. It is interesting though, like how you know we can write some, something together, or like a lot of the lines in the record, like you know, literally like I started writing the line, and then maybe we'll have like substituted a word or something like that. And so, like even when people like ask, you know, specifically about certain songs or lines, I'm like, I don't actually totally remember who wrote that exact part. And then, it, and then when you sing it, like a lot of times we're singing together. And I think for the listener, you know, it totally changes the dynamic of like, this is one person, you know, confessing something to me or like, you know, like the personal nature becomes very like skewed when you have two voices yeah. singing the whole time, which I kind of like. I think it takes it out of that, like, you know, yeah, confessional folk singing style. I, I, with that, then, I, I would have to ask about one direct line because it would seem like that ghost is just a kid in a sheet. One of my favorite moments on the record does seem to be self-referential back to the uh, the Stranger in the Alps cover. I, again, I think we thought about that later. Wow. I think we figured out that, like, and that happens a lot where, like, maybe it was subliminal or whatever, but I feel like I find out what songs are about way after writing them. And then you're on stage, or, like, specifically with that line, I see people, like, smiling at me when we sing it, and, and we're kind of like, oh, yeah, that was accidental. It was just cool imagery. That is kind of amazing, then, because it, it does it does seem so specific in that. And, uh, I don't know, it's fun for, for fans to kind of be able to have that uh, little... Yeah, totally. Even if it's a coincidental breadcrumb trail, then um, I'll, I'll take the wider scope on some of the themes. You know, maybe that you noticed later on. Because when I listen to this, I hear I do hear a lot of alienation and solitude. And if that's if that's how you all feel about it too, it's interesting to me because the more interviews I do in the past two years, those seem to be the themes that are cropping up with everybody. That's that's the spot we're all in. Whereas if you ever wanted to compare music to the '60s, as people tried to do a lot when the Trump era started, you know, it's uh, it, it doesn't seem like it's going that direction where it's all, you know, that uh, CCR protest music. It seems like sort of the opposite, like everybody's kind of going inside. No, I, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, everyone is obviously, you know, I think that's kind of if we're, if we're looking for like bigger themes of like the record or the band or whatever, I think it is everyone is in like an in, internal kind of dialogue and struggle and the crazier things that are happening in the world, I feel like there is a desire to like retreat and retreat from reality and from all these things. And so I think, I don't know, maybe that's the idea of like having like the word like community in the band and stuff like that is that you, in a certain sense, even though it can feel like you're out there on your own, we are all kind of in it together, you know, if that, if that makes any sense. And so, but yeah, I mean, I think those, the themes you're talking about are very prevalent in a lot of the songs, you know. And there is probably like a zeitgeist of the moment that everyone's experiencing, you know, even if we don't all know about it or talk about it. I'll turn to the live show then because the songs have seemed to become much bigger live. Did that come after or was it kind of a choice to keep the album in a more bare state and let it run free once you get on stage? I think it kind of was reversed. Like we tried to make a rock album and <laughs> failed. And then we, and then when we took it on the road, it was like way easier to, to make it sound the way we wanted it to sound. Yeah. I mean, I think we, I, I always like it when songs take on a different life in live, in a live setting. You know, I think that that's pretty natural. And I think uh, whenever you get in front of an audience, uh, at least for, in my experience, there is a bit of a desire to play things faster and louder than you recorded them, you know? Um, I think that's just like adrenaline and just being in a room with people. Um, but yeah, we talked about like kind of intentionally when we were getting ready for the tour, we're like, you know what, we're we're a couple of bad sacks with our like acoustic guitars, like too much already. So like, let's leave the acoustic guitars at home and play, you know, make this more of like a rock show as much as we can. So it's been fun. I get to hit the distortion pedal a lot. That makes me happy. Yep. So. Have you all been trying to come up with new covers for every show, or has that just been a few of them? I I think it's just been a few for sure. But we, I do like in my solo shit, I actually uh, do like a lot of regional covers. So I'll pick, you know, like a replacement song in Minneapolis, and then we kind of just naturally leaned into that on this tour. And, and, and we, you know, it's only one record. So we definitely knew we had to do cover songs. And then, yeah, I love covering Bright Eyes. Very fun. Were there any instant vetoes? Did anybody say, like, there's been a lot of talk, of course, about Shallow, and I don't know if that was as painful for you, Connor, as the press makes it out to be. 
<laughs> well, obviously, as most as most good things in the world, or at least most things in our with our band, like everything starts as a joke, kind <laughs> of. And uh, yeah, that was one that definitely got deep punishment for that one. <laughs> like before and after, <laughs> felt really good. Great. Yeah, I just uh, it was yeah. It was funny. It was like funny, and it's obviously worth it just to hear Phoebe sing the the loud, you know, the loud section. Like that part is not a joke. That's actually like affecting and fun. Um, but uh, the rest of it's kind of. Joke. Connor couldn't not sing it in a fake Bradley Cooper voice. It was so funny. I was like, no, us doing it is already the joke. Like we don't need to tell people that it's a joke. But then he literally couldn't not. And I, sing it in fake Bradley Cooper any better. And not to be like, oh, like, I don't pay attention to stuff, but I really didn't know. I, I'd heard that song like three times before we played it. I was like, I just didn't know that song. And uh, I will say, it's, like, once we learned it and played it, though, it was stuck in my head for a few days. I'm like, it is a really catchy song. But I was like, we can only do it once because if that's something that's pretty sad. And yeah, I don't think people, like, look forward to it in the set. Yeah, we were never going to do it more than once. Yeah. Sure. I feel like there's something about this that leads to that to the banner, it will all end in tears. It, w- it will end in tears, you know? <laughs> yeah, it will end in tears. <laughs> There's an audience out there for both of you all, and I'm, I'm, I'm guessing both of them come to the show as well. Does Do you notice that you're playing to two different generations sometimes of fans? I actually did notice that. I guess what we were in Austin the other night, and I was like looking at the crowd, and I don't know. I guess I've kind of had that for a little while now with my own music, where like I guess just doing it long enough, like there's kind of like you know the like whatever like 60 year old like NPR couple out there and then there's still the like whatever like 20 year old indie rocking people you know so like that has existed at my shows for a while but obviously it's like the younger people and like Phoebe's fans are like very rabid and they're there in force and yeah you can kind of tell like when it's like I don't know I I really feel like I the line is blurrier than I thought it would be like I look out in the front row is full of like girls with turf bangs and like really precise eyeliner. And I'm like, you could be for either of us right now. <laughs> but, but it was, or Connor handed the microphone to a dude the other day who was singing literally every song. And I was like, oh man, I think we might actually have an intersection of super fans. We're like, oh wow, he's stoked when we play a me song or, oh wow, he's like screaming the words to easy, lucky, free. Like it's truly both of us, which is yeah. fun. And I think there is, like, maybe it's not a huge percentage, but I do feel like there's some people that may have, maybe had heard of us or knew a little bit about either of us, but actually just kind of heard this record and, like, heard, you know, like, whatever, heard one of the songs and got into it, you know, which I think is really cool that some so people cool. are still, like, finding out about us through, like, this new project, you know? Yeah, the brand new music. Uh, you look yeah. like you're having so much fun on stage. I, I do want to ask if there's been any really good travel stories that's accompanied this tour off the stage. We've, like, literally, we did, like, 11 shows in a row, so we've had, like, very few days off to, like, really do anything that cool, but I know we did some stuff that was fun. Really. Yeah, I feel like the most exciting thing we did on this tour is, like, see a movie, <laughs> which is great. Like, we've been having a blast, but the thing happens on tour that's kind of frustrating where you, like, it kind of takes you all day to become a person. You're like, okay, my stuff is scattered around this weird shower room. I've got to, like, get it together, take a shower, show up for sound check. So, like, it's good and bad. We've been completely, like, enveloped in the music, but I more so than any other tour for me, I feel like I do look forward to the show as, like, the fun thing I get to do, which is awesome because sometimes on tour it can feel like it's your job, but I feel like the rest of the day is your job. The rest of the day of, like, not being at home and, like, you know, eating at Starbucks is what you get paid for, and then playing music is the reward. I rode on the back of my friend's motorcycle the other night in Dallas, and I thought I was going to die. That was probably the most exciting moment. Yeah, you texted me before and after both times, being, I think, kind of as the thing you do when you're you're afraid for your life, and you tell your friend, like, oh, my God, isn't this crazy? (laughs) I, like, know where to find you. You, like, flew off. (laughs) Yeah, that was was that was exciting in a terrifying way. Oh, I'm glad you didn't die. I really am. <laughs> I, I, I'm Thanks, in, man. Yeah, no problem. I'm invested in both of your careers so much, but I, I do. I, I wonder from here on out, like how much I I want to get invested in Bever, Better Oblivion Community Center. Like, 
are there more songs? Do you think there'll be more albums? Is this going to be a thing? Or do you both go your separate ways at this point afterward? Maybe we should get actual investors to like invest in the band. And, uh, like, and our new music. <laughs> just start like raising capital. But, um, no, I think that, I mean, I will just speak for myself and say that I hope that we make another record. Yeah, me too. I think we there's very little like concept other than like the drop release and stuff. We we really did just make a thing and then put it out. So I hope if we make more music it'll be in that same spirit. Like we didn't sit around like Mr. Burnsing for months being like and then it'll all come out at once or whatever. Like we've just the spirit of it has been put it out immediately. Like we put out a single for no reason. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we keep doing that. It, remember, it only takes three albums to make a greatest hits. So you just got to get to three albums so you can, <laughs> so you can cruise on the greatest right. hits from there on out. Connor we'll pull a Tom Petty and write our best song for it. Exactly. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you both, Connor Phoebe. Thank you so much again for taking the time today. I, I can't say enough great things about this record. And I hope to catch one of these live shows, too. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get out to one. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you. I've never been this nervous in my life. Greetings from Longtime No See, the podcast. Every week, we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! <laughs> what would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my God, Jack almost fell off his chair. <laughs> be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. And we'll round out this episode with uh, a 2017 interview with Phoebe Bridgers. Uh, this was, of course, back with her debut album, A Stranger in the Alps. We got to talk about the, the Big Lebowski reference that came from that. Uh, finding herself in an iPhone commercial. Here's part four of Kyle Meredith with Phoebe Bridgers. Hey, how's it going? You've got a, um, a beautiful record, a, a heartbreaking record, a gorgeous. I, I think there's a lot of adjectives that can be applied to this. It's it's a record that I don't know if I should compliment for its beauty because it's just, it's it's there's so much, you know, not sadness. I think is the right word, but uh, it's definitely you're not writing a happy-go-lucky record, and it's still a beautiful record. It's <laughs> uh, I, I, before we get into that though, I, I got to ask that that title. Um, I'm here in Louisville, Kentucky, and we're the home of the Lebowski Fest, which I know has played a few times out in LA too. But Stranger in the Alps, that's a Lebowski reference, right? It is. It is indeed. Nicely done. Is that uh, just because Thanks. that's yeah the fun of the uh, of the edit? Was there any other story behind that? Not really. I just thought it was kind of poetic on accident. <laughs> I mean, maybe the person who had to edit it was had that in mind, but I just thought it was such an interesting choice. Yeah. Like there are a lot of things that they could have chosen to replace that, but yeah, I just thought it was cool. You know, somebody was high fiving the other person in the editing booth that day. Exactly. Yeah, like exactly. I know what it is. <laughs> Well, um, getting into this record, it, it is. It's, it's such a, a great record and, and a hell of a, a debut, a way to introduce yourself. Although I know that we were kind of familiar with you, you know, based off of the first single and EP to begin with. It, there's a few years in between. And, and I was, is it that you just took your time to wait to get everything in order for the actual release? Or, or were you still writing on it this whole time? It, it's just that I think the Ryan. Seven inch, the seven inch I did with Ryan Adams kind of happened on accident. It happened as I was planning on making a full length album, and then people liked it, and then I started getting tours because of it. And uh, so I took a lot of breaks in the recording process because of tours, which was really cool. But it, you know, it did take kind of take forever. And and I've I've heard you say a few things about this though, you know, about these songs that, you know, some of them have been around for a few years now because of that, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I because of the seven inch dragging everything out as far as my full length as well. Um, I got to finish songs that would never have been on the record otherwise. You know, kind of in the final hour of making it. So yeah, that was a cool part. But then yeah, some of them I've had since before I recorded with Ryan. So yeah, yeah. It's, and, it's kind of all over the place. Yeah, well, that's that's kind of an interesting thing about it being your debut and for having these songs around because. You know, every one of your songs, I think the most special thing about them is they are so uh, specific. You know, you, you hear some of those pop doctor writers talk about, oh, if you want to get to the masses, you got to write broad and everything. And I've never believed that. A lot of my favorite songs are, are very specific to the to the artist. But when this is your debut and some of these songs, you know, this is the introduction to it for a lot of people. But these are little moments that happen to you. I don't know what, five, ten years ago. Like, are, are, is that connection still there? 
Is that, you know, for you? Yeah, I actually feel the op- I feel the opposite of you know of what you just said about about pop songwriters. Like I I've al- I agree with you. I always feel like the most some of the most specific songs are actually kind of the most universal. So yeah, I, I think that applies to my older songs as well. For me, like even if they are really specific and I'm not having those experiences anymore, I still like things repeat themselves and I and I connect in different ways than I thought I would. I just I feel like I think different things about who I was at those times which is the only thing which is the only thing that changes my experience with older songs if that makes any sense like i'm like oh wow like why was i why was i so obsessed with that person like they sucked you know like that those are the only things that change is is like a perspective basically i've heard a lot of songwriters talk about how when you look back at your catalog it's almost like looking back at the old yearbook photos and you know, in, in that sense, it's almost like you walking up for the first time, but instead of offering a picture of you, you know, a, a current day picture, it's almost that you're holding over. It's like, well, this was me, you know, a few years ago. And <laughs> totally, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to make a second record because <laughs> this kind of feels like catching this kind of feels like catching people up on my life. Yeah. And then a second record will be, you know, probably like all songs that were written in the same six months. Right. So yeah, so interesting. Well. You know, as far as those lyrics go, you have an amazing knack for poetry. I mean, uh, honestly, it's Thanks. it's some of the most engaging lyrics. And and I say this coming from a person who's not usually. I, I I'm one of the people who finds rhythm and melody be- long before I find the lyrics. But yours are so uh-huh. engaging that you can't not pay attention to them. Where does where does your where does that poetry bone come from for you? I I I think I just. It's what I gravitate toward. I'm the opposite. I, it's what I gravitate towards the most are lyrics. I love melodies, and there's nothing better than perfect combination of a great melody and great lyrics. But I think, you know, I actually like a lot of songs that are really just monotonous melodies that are a story, like, you know, you know, like Leonard Cohen songs are like that, where, it, like, it, it kind of drags out over, you know, 10 minutes. And it's just the the same verse over and over, but it's but the the lyrics are so compelling you can't help but pay attention. So I think it's just what I consumed always. My mom listened to a lot of singer songwriter music, and then and then when I started when I grew up, it, I I kind of gravitated towards them, like contemporary singer songwriters, and 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 kind of found that people were still doing that. It wasn't just only music that my parents listened to. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's just what I consumed. Did you always kind of know that this was what you were going to try to make your profession? I yeah, I guess yeah. It sounds kind of corny, but I don't remember fantasizing about doing another thing. You know, I think I never, I didn't, I don't have like a realistic set of goals for myself. I always was like, <laughs> I'm going to be a musician. I I like totally was kind of a like I didn't really pay attention in school. I was kind of like pretty convinced that I was going to do music always you know, whether based in reality or not. Uh, so, <laughs> so yeah, wouldn't advise it. But, but yeah, I, I don't remember wanting to do anything else. Was there a moment when you could actually remember that you took the uh, the serious jump, that you, you kind of went all in on it? I mean, knowing knowing is one thing. Actually performing that trick is, is sort of another thing. You know, I, I think I always did. Like, I, I think I can point to a lot of times where I did that. But there wasn't really any fear attached to it. I think the most the the most fearful I ever was, which is really it really actually wasn't a very pronounced feeling. But I I when I was graduating high school, my mom knew that I wanted to be a musician, but she but she was like, just apply to one school, you know, just do one, so that you have the option if you freak out. And I applied and got into Berkeley School of Music, and it was like, you know. Do I, and I had just gone to four years of, a, of like a music magnet high school. So I was like, I like, <laughs> do I do this for another four years or do, I, or do I just jump in? And, you know, my mom and I look at each other and we're like, I just, I, you know, I can take a year off. <laughs> Worst case scenario, I just apply to school again, you know? Yeah. So that, I think that was the, that was the, that was the freakiest time. I also kind of sat around it and did nothing for like six years after I graduated high school. Or six years, six months. Yeah, six years. That'd be amazing. Right. Um, no, that's what I was laughing so at because when... Yeah, when someone says I'm going to take the year off, it usually means that I'm just going to sit there. I'm just not going to do exactly, much. exactly. <laughs> I feel like I kind of lazed around for six months and was like, "What am I doing?" And then it kind of started picking up, and I and I 
got my confidence back. I was like, all right, I'm playing shows. I'm recording. This, this feels good. And then I met Ryan, like, you know, a year after I graduated high school. So wow. that was pretty cool. Yeah. What, what timing. And at some point in there, I read that you ended up in an iPhone commercial too, right? I did. That was kind of the end of my lazing around, I think. <laughs> How did that come about? Because what an opportunity, especially as, you know, at the moment, sort of an unknown. Yeah, someone just known me from somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. you were known. You were known. That was it. You weren't an unknown. Yeah, you were known. a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Well, I, I'm glad... Uh, personally, that everything has happened the way it's happened because, again, this record is just so interesting to listen to, and I've loved every moment of it. So, uh, thanks so much. Yeah. So ho- uh, hopefully we'll see you around these parts. I'm in Louisville at some point, you know, and, and, and I'm guessing you're probably going to be on tour nonstop for the next 20 years, so uh, one of these <laughs> days. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Let's go. All Do right. It. it was nice talking with you, Phoebe. Yeah, great to talk to you. And my thanks to Phoebe Bridgers again. Uh, the latest single is called Sideline. She's got a track coming out on the Minion soundtrack and uh, and everything else. The Satisfactory, of course, with the record label and all the great stuff that she's putting out there. So thanks to Phoebe. Thanks to you for checking out the episode. Please do hit that subscribe button before you get out of here uh, to keep up with all the interviews that I put out. Uh, brand new and every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at iTunes and Apple Podcasts at Spotify at Podchaser, at NPR, YouTube for the video versions, anywhere you get your podcast from. Subscribe to Kyle Meredith with. And then after that, head over to WFPK.org, where I do a show Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, an hour full of song premieres from music news, anniversary spins, bonus interviews, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, at WFPK.org. Consequence has your music and film news. You can also find me on the uh, social media spots, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all three of them, at Kyle Meredith. Do hope you like and follow along. That does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. Cool. All right. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.